Well, I think um, it's fitting to begin today just by taking a moment to pause. If you live in Portland or if you're on social media or watch the news, uh, we know that um, Harvey Harley Dilly uh, is still missing uh, in Portland. He's a 14-year-old uh, student from Portland. Um, and so I just want to take a moment to just pause and pray. Um, and so if you would do that with me, we're going to pray for him and for his family, because as a parent, I can't imagine what they're going through right now. So let's just take a moment to just pray. God, we come before you today in humility. We come before you to ask, first and foremost, for, that you would keep Harley safe. That wherever he is and whatever happened, God, I pray that he would be safe and that, that he would be able to, to come home. God, we, we just give him into your hands today. We pray for his f- parents and his family. The, who knows what they're going through, what they're thinking, what, what's going on in their souls. God, I pray for, for, that you would give them strength to get through each day right now. Give them grace hour after hour after hour. God, to just get through the storm. We pray for law enforcement and the authorities that are searching and and the people that have willingly searched as well. God, I pray that you would uh, just guide them and direct them in what they need to do as well. God, this is a a small town and something like this shocks all of us. And so, God, I pray we can come around this family and we can love them. We can care for them. And I pray that we would be there to support them. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Um, I believe, I, I think I saw on social media, there's, they're, they're doing a, a candlelight thing at Lakeview Park at 5 p.m. tonight, if that's something that would interest you. Uh, but, man, as a parent, it just it messes with you. So, um, we are, we're not starting our Just the Mess series. We're doing that next weekend. But um, today, we're, 2020 is in like a couple days, isn't it? And so I don't know about you, but um, as New Year's come, I always start to think of what um, resolutions am I going to set this year? Uh, what, what goals do I have? What do I want to accomplish in the new year? And just to, just to let you know, uh, 2019 was the first year I have ever accomplished one of my resolutions. Isn't that awesome? Ever. Okay, and here's my resolution. My resolution was I wanted to work out in 2019. So on January 1st, I woke up and um, I worked out. And my wife can attest to that. Uh, she would say, yep, he did. And then I, January 2nd, I woke up and I checked off, worked out in 2019. Because I did. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, so I, what I figured out with resolutions, it's all about wording. It's all about how you word things, because if I said I want to work out three times a week in 2019, that's 156 workouts, and I'm not doing that, okay? (laughs) And so if you have yet to set yours, just remember, wording is key, okay? But isn't it interesting that we do this every year to ourselves? Like, every time the New Year's coming, this idea of resolutions or, hey, where did I fail last year that I want to do better in? next year, or what, what goals do I want to set, which is all good. It's good to set goals. It's good to set certain things you want to accomplish in a year. Those are good things to do in life. 
But, but isn't it interesting how when we set those goals and when we want these desired outcomes or specific outcomes to come in life, isn't it interesting that it, it usually becomes like a burden upon us? Like this idea that it's like, okay, I've set this goal, I want to lose X amount of pounds. And so you begin the year focused on this desired outcome, and yet your whole entire year is based on whether you achieved it or you failed in it, right? And then usually by February, you're like, well, at least there's always next year, okay? You see, what happens with resolutions and stuff like that, when we, when we figure out these, these outcomes we want to produce in life, what happens is, is they end up becoming burdens on us, don't they? They become burdens on us, and they actually dictate the way we live. They dictate the way what we do, and, and they're, they're a burden until we either succeed or we fail and move on. You see, we set our ideas or our goals on these desired outcomes down here. But I'm convinced, I'm convinced that God does not want us to live focused on outcomes. Okay? I'm convinced that there is something greater, there's something bigger that we should focus our lives on. If you, if you follow Jesus and, and you have faith in him and, and you want to follow him, I'm convinced that there is something far greater for us to focus on than those little outcomes that we set year after year and that we usually fail in year after year. And so as we go into 2020, I want us to really read this quote by Jason Johnson. This is a fantastic quote. Um, and this, just, this rocked me when I read it. It says, our success in life, and I think it says shouldn't, our success in life shouldn't be measured by our capacity to produce some certain set of outcomes. Rather, it should be determined by our willingness to be faithful to God along the journey. Do you see how these are two different lifestyles here? The first lifestyle is what culture tells us to live by, right? This idea that our lives are lived by these certain set of outcomes. Okay, I'm going to graduate uh, high school. I'm going to graduate. I'm going to get into the college I want. I'm going to graduate with this degree. I'm going to do this. I'm going to have this, these kids marry this person, do this, do this, do this, do this. But the question is, is what happens when that's all done? What happens when that's, you've achieved everything you've wanted to do? What's left? You see, our success in life is not measured based on our capacity to produce some certain set of outcomes. Rather, it should be determined by our willingness to be faithful to God along that journey. And so as we go into 2020 today, I want to really focus on this idea that our entire lives, we culture and everybody says, set your goals here. But God says, let's set our goals here. And here's the beauty of this, is that when you set your goals here, it usually motivates your outcomes, right? And so what's here? What are we talking about here? Well, our prayer for you and, and for me and for our entire church as we step into 2020 is that we would be more concerned about being faithful to God than the outcomes we produce. It's an entirely different lifestyle than we're used to. And so when we're focused on every day, 
when we're focused on this idea of how can I be faithful to God? What does God want me to do today? When we do that, guess what it's going to do? It's going to motivate the outcomes that we actually produce in life. And so I want to encourage all of us to to not be short-sighted as we go into 2020, and let's look big picture here, because there's something far greater than what we can achieve in our lives. And so this is our prayer today. And it's interesting, because this is exactly what Jesus taught his disciples as well. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there to Matthew chapter 25. If you don't, it's going to be on the screen. Uh, So I got you covered, all right? And so in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is talking with his disciples. This is part of what's called the Olivet Discourse. And so uh, there's 28 chapters in Matthew. This is Matthew 25. So just to let you know, the cross is very close. Like Jesus is on his way um, to the cross where he's going to die, and then ultimately three days later, resurrect. And before he leaves, he brings his disciples to the Mount of Olives, and he teaches them. He teaches them about the future. But he also teaches them how they should live until the future arrives. And that's what he's doing in Matthew 25, where we're going to be today. And also, in classic Jesus fashion, he teaches in parables. If you've never read a parable, if you don't know what they are, some of them are crazy. It's like, what is is going on in this parable? That's exactly what Jesus wants us to think. But a parable is this, is a spiritual truth given in earthly terms, okay? That's, that's it. And it's usually given in a story, and it's an example of an, a spiritual truth. And what every parable does is that they contrast two different things. And so what Jesus is going to do here, he's going to contrast what it looks like to be faithful in our lives on a daily basis, to have our minds set on faithfulness versus what it looks like to have our minds set on outcomes or what we can produce in life. And so we're going to start in verse 14, 25 through 14. And before I start, this is a long passage, so you just need to track with me here, okay? So don't, don't, daze, don't daze off or anything, all right? And so Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14 to 18, and then we're going to read way more later, okay? And so Jesus is talking to his disciples here, and he says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Okay, we're going to stop there so we can kind of rehash what's going on here. So in that little part, those five verses, first we see what the master gives to his servants. What he gives to his servants. The master gives three different servants different amounts of money. Now in that In the NLT, it says bags of silver, but if you're using another version, it's called a talent, okay? And so if your version of the Bible calls it a talent, a talent is a really large sum of money, okay? And so back then, they had terms for different uh, amounts of money, and a talent was usually worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, 
okay? And so when you go through this, so when you think of the five bags of silver, as I just read, don't be thinking little, little bags of silver, okay? Think large bags of silver. This was the master's entire fortune he left to three different servants, okay? He entrusted his entire fortune to three servants. He says, I'm leaving. Here's all of my fortune. This is everything I have. I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to go. And so he gives them his money, his fortune. But not only, he doesn't give it out evenly, does he? To one servant, he gave five bags. To the other, he gave three. And the other, or two. And then the other, he gave to one. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, that's really not fair. Yeah, it's not fair, but it's wise. And, and here's why. I have three kids. One, my, my oldest is six. My youngest is three. My six-year-old they, we have a playroom downstairs, and they'll always come up every, like, six minutes. I want a drink or a snack, right? Um, and so they come up, and my six-year-old wants a drink. I say, awesome, here's a cup, and I give her a cup without a lid, okay? She's six. She can handle it. And she gets water, and she goes down the stairs. And then, sure enough, my three-year-old comes up and says, I want to I wanna drink. I say, okay. So I go get a cup with a lid, right? And he says, no, I don't want that cup. And I say, but you need that cup. He says, no, I don't want that cup. I say, but you're going to spill. And he says, no, I won't. Right? He's three. I'm 32. I know better. All right? But in the moment, it's like, well, you're just going to figure out for yourself, aren't you? And so I give him a cup without a lid. And a lot of you parents are like, why would you do that? Exactly. I do that to teach him a lesson that he's not right. And so I give him the cup without the lid, but I also at the same time grab a towel because I know in about three steps down the stairs, he's going to spill. And guess what? It happens nine times out of ten. He starts crying at the top of his lungs because he spilled his water. And I look at him and I say, I told you so. All right? I told you so. Listen, I share this because I know my kids' abilities. I know my kids. I know what they can handle. I know their abilities and in, in everything they do. I know what I can talk to my six-year-old about and what I can talk to my three-year-old about. I know what I can give them, and that's exactly what the master does. He gives and entrusts a certain amount of money to each of his servants based on their abilities because he knows them. He understands who they are. He understands what gifts they have. That's very important to remember as we keep going. And so that's what the master gives. The master entrusts his entire fortune to these three servants based on their abilities. But we also see here in that passage, we saw what they did as well. And so the first servant with five bags, he went out, invested his money, made five more. The second servant went out, worked, invested, made two more. The third servant, the third servant, however, had a different tactic. He dug a hole and hid the money in the ground. All right? Three very different tactics, three very different outcomes in their lives. All right? And so that's what the master gives, and that's what the servants do with it. Now let's see what happens when the master comes back. All right? And so let's read it. Matthew 29, 19 through 27. This is long. Stick with me. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. And so he brings the, the servants up with him and he says, okay, share with me how you, how you handled my fortune. 
A servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and and I have earned two more. The master says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and I gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. All right. So that long passage, first, we see how the master responds to each of the servants. And so the master comes back from his long trip, and he calls the servants in and says, listen, give an account of how you handled my fortune. And so the first two servants, the master says this, and it's identical, okay, to the first two, which is kind of crazy because when you think of it bottom line status, obviously the first servant made more. So if you're, you're looking on a, a, a pie graph or whatever it is business-wise, um, the first servant made this much, the second servant made this much, and the third servant made nothing, okay? And so in, in a cultural, worldly view, the first servant should be given the most praise, should be given the, the greatest promotion because he achieved this certain outcome, okay? But that's not what happens. Look what happens. Matthew 25, 21, and 23, to both of the servants, he says the same thing. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. What I love about this, what I love about this is that the master praises them, he rewards them, and then he celebrates with them. He praises them, rewards them, and celebrates with them. Remember, on paper, he should praise and reward and celebrate the first servant the most, but he doesn't do that. In fact, in in the master's eyes, they're both equal with how they handled his fortune. And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Words that we all yearn to hear from our God, right? From our God. And so he says that to the first two servants. The third servant, he obviously said something a little bit different. He says, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. At least I could have gotten some interest on it. My bank emails me to celebrate my interest, and it's like four cents. It's like, don't email me that. I, I don't care. All right? And that's what the master says. He says, listen, why'd you do what you did and at least put it in the bank? 
so I could have gotten interest on it, at least handle it a little better, which is really interesting. What we want to point out here is that we see in that long passage, we see first what the, how the master responds, but also what the servants are concerned about. The first two servants are concerned about being faithful to the master that they loved. Now, I know it doesn't specifically say it in there that they love this master, but, but remember when we read it, the, the master came back and the first two servants stood up and they said, here, look, look what I did. This makes me think of my middle daughter. She loves to clean. It's crazy, I know. She loves cleaning and she loves making her bed and setting up her, her, her little stuffed animals. It's super cute. And, and when I come home from work, sometimes she'll, she'll run to me and say, Daddy, come on, come on, look, look. And she wants to show me and she just stands there and just smiles while I'm like, good job, honey. But the point is, is that because of our mutual love for one another, and because she respects me and I love her and I respect her and she loves me, she wants to show me all she did. She wants to show me how she cleaned her room without asking. How, how, how she went out of her way to do something that she knew we would be happy about. You see, that's what the first two servants did. They came to the master and they were like, look, look, look how we took care of what you gave us. Look at what we did with, with what you gave. You see, they loved this master. They had this relationship with him that was far different than the second one. You see, they were concerned merely about being faithful with what the master gave. In fact, they found their purpose, their joy, and love with, with what the master gave them. Think about it. The first two servants, if they're, if they're doubling their money, this means that they're always around it, right? Like they're working with it, they're thinking about it, it gives them their drive, it gives them their purpose in life is to use what the creator, what the master gave them, right? It gave them their purpose, it gave them joy to, to be good stewards of what was given. You see, what I want to point out with the first two servants too is that phrase, well done and good, good and faithful servant. I know we've all heard that phrase at funerals. We've all heard that phrase other people. Like we yearn to hear that from God in our lives as well. I pray God says that to me when I stand face to face with him. Notice how the master doesn't say, well done, good and successful servant. Right? Because the master's not concerned with the amount like I said before, the first servant made the most. He should have been praised more. He should have, been, he should have gotten way more than everybody else. But what the master did is on paper, it was like this, the first two servants. But what the master did, he said, no, you both were faithful. I don't care about the amounts. I don't care about the outcomes. All I care about is how faithful you were with what I gave you. It's not about the success. It's about our faith our faithfulness to the master. The third servant, though, the third servant was merely concerned about the outcome that was produced. Noticed in the text when the master came to him, he didn't step up and say, look, look, all I did. He actually, I can almost, you can almost picture it as like standing back and saying, I knew you were to be a harsh man. Here's your money back. 
You almost can look at it as like this servant didn't have a relationship with his master. He saw it as more of an employee-employer relationship or him and me. He didn't quite get or love the master. In fact, he was only concerned about his outcome. Like, if I lose this money, what's going to happen to me? He's a harsh man. If I lose what what he gave me, then who knows what's going to happen to me? And so he thought in his mind, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to dig a hole. I'm going to hide it so that when he comes back, I'm just going to give it right back to him. I wonder if he had put it in the bank and he had only gotten four cents of interest. Interest. I wonder if the master would have said the same exact thing as the first two servants. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I bet you he would have. I bet you he would have if he handled that differently. But all he was concerned about is the outcome. All he was concerned about is what he produced. And he, he had his, he, his eyes were, he was so short-sighted. Like, I'm only going to be focused on here. He didn't have a bigger picture of what was going on in this story. He was only concerned with the outcome. And so now the question is, is what does this parable mean to us? Because parables are sometimes hard to understand. And first we need to understand... Uh, First, the master obviously in this parable is God, okay? Like God is the master, and we are the servants, you and me. We are all his servants, okay? So we just got to understand that there. And so what we have to understand first is that Jesus has given us much, hasn't he? You know that song, count your blessings, name them one by one, right? A lot of, some of you older people are shaking your heads. Younger people are like, what is he talking about? There's a song out there, and it says to count your blessings and to go through them and name them one by one. Why? Because God has given us much, hasn't he? No matter the storms you're going through in life, no matter the circumstances, no matter how hard it is, you can always focus and look at what you do have rather than what you don't have, right? Right? Because God has given us much. He's given you, he knows you, he knows your abilities, he's given you gifts in order to use here, he's given you your job situation, he's given you your physical abilities, your mental abilities. I mean, I could go on with this, can't I? God has given you much. Or in other words, God has entrusted you with his talents. Isn't that interesting? God has entrusted us with his talents. When Jesus resurrected, guess what? He left. He ascended and went to the right hand of the Father. He even sent the the Holy Spirit to be our helper, as it says. And he entrusted us with his fortune. And his fortune is you and me and the other people in our lives. That's what the cross is all about. He redeemed sinners. God has entrusted us with so much to do something. What does he want us to do? He wants us to be his stewards. He wants us to use our gifts, our abilities, our potential, our passions, our loves. He wants us to use what he has given us for him. For his sake and for others. For the glory of God and for the sake of others. He wants us to be good stewards with what we have because really, think about it. We only have one life, don't we? We only have one life and we get to live it now. We're here. We're in this present. 
God has given us much so that we can be good stewards with what he has given us. But sometimes we want to be like the third servant and just kind of dig a hole and hide our gifts. Sometimes we want to just kind of push it aside and say, I don't have that. I'm just going to live how I want to live. Because that's what the third servant did. He just dug a hole, probably forgot about it. And then when the master came back, said, oh, yeah, I dug that hole. So we need to be good stewards. And when we are good stewards, and, and I love what Peter says. Listen, listen, God did not give us gifts and abilities. He did not entrust us with much as a burden. A lot of people want to see blessings and what God has given us as a burden because you have capabilities, you have, uh, you have your capabilities, mine are different, yours are different, whatever it may be, but God actually gave it to us to be free. Look, it says, Peter says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. I love what Peter does here is he equates being a servant of God with freedom. And yet a lot of us want to say, oh, if I serve God, that's a burden. Or, oh, I got to go to church early and do something. Or I got to actually love that person. Or I got to actually do this. We see serving God as this idea of a burden. But yet really it should be seen as freedom. Freedom to use what God has given you. Because your capability is different than the person next to you, than my capability, than everything. And we get to use those. We get to be good stewards. And at the end of the day, all Jesus wants from us, all God wants from us is faithfulness. That's it. Many of you know that my wife and I were jumping into foster care. We're not in foster care yet. We still have a home study to do. We haven't been approved, so we don't have a child. We don't know when it's going to happen either. So we're not in it yet. So right now, we're still kind of on the outside looking in. And there are many days where my wife and I look at ourselves and we say, what are we doing? We can hardly handle our own kids, right? There are days where it's like, why, why are we doing this again? There are days where I think, man, that's another child to feed. That's another child to take care of. It's another child to invest in. It's another child to love. Am I capable of this? Right? You may never be convicted or feel the calling to foster. And let me tell you, that's okay. That's okay. But your calling may be a little different. But for us, for us in this moment, for us to use what God has given us, all God wants is our faithfulness and not to be worried about the outcomes because here's what happens. I think about all the time, well, well what happens if, if something happens to the child or what if, what if we fail as foster parents or, or what if we can't love that child enough? And I'm constantly reminded that God doesn't want me to be concerned about the outcomes. He only wants me to be concerned about my faithfulness to the calling he has given us. All he wants us to do is simply open the door. And he's going to handle the rest. You see, I don't know what that is for your life. I don't know what your calling is. I don't know where your passions are. I don't know where your abilities are. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, you're too focused on your outcomes. And maybe we need to rethink it and say, okay, God, help me to be faithful. Help me to just open the door to let you work. Because when that happens, here's the beauty, when that happens, when we focus on faithfulness before our outcomes, guess what? Faithfulness actually produces fruitful outcomes. Isn't that amazing? It's like when we actually are 
concerned with and focused on being faithful to what God wants us to do. We're willing just to open the door and let whatever happen happens. That's when fruitful outcomes are produced. Look at the servants. They had no clue how much money they were going to make. None whatsoever. All they knew is that they had to be faithful to the master while he was gone. That was it. And look at what they produced. One produced five bags more. The other produced two bags more. They both doubled what was given to them. Look at the third servant. Didn't care about faithfulness. All he cared about was the outcome. And guess what he produced? Nothing. Nothing. He could have been one of the best persons around, but he produced nothing for the master. Listen, faithfulness, when we are concerned with faithfulness to God, looking at what God has given us, what he has entrusted to us, the abilities he has given us, and we look at that and we say, okay, God, I I understand this. I know you've given me these things. Now help me use them. When we do that, when we walk in faithfulness, I'm telling you, fruitful outcomes will be produced. Probably some outcomes you have no clue you're even capable of. Isn't that awesome? You probably have no idea they're coming, but I'm telling you, if you're faithful, fruitful outcomes will happen that you may not know are possible. And so the question you have to ask yourself, and we all have to ask, is what does it look like to be faithful? What does it look like to be faithful in 2020? Well, I just want to suggest, first of all, pray. Ask God to show you what your passion, your calling is. He will reveal it. Ask and you shall receive. He'll open your eyes to what God may be wanting you to do this year. I promise you. Okay? And he may not, but you can still pray. Okay? Ask God how he wants to use you. Ask God what your next steps may be. And along the journey... Here's what we need to do. First, we need to depend on God and his word. Through the storms, through the good times, through the bad times, through through every situation in life, you can be faithful when you depend on God and his word, right? You can be faithful when you depend on who he is, what he's given you, because he's the one that can get you through those storms, right? We not only can depend on God and his word, but we can love people and value each other. We can love people and value each other. Listen, I love the idea of loving people, but valuing each other is a little step further. You can love people without loving people, can't you? Like you can, you can serve a soup kitchen and not really love the people. You're only there for yourself saying, look at me, I'm serving at a soup kitchen, right? The question is, is do you actually value people? Do you value them for who they are, where they're at? That's where true love for people comes in. And so we can be faithful by not only depending on God and his word, but also loving and valuing people, and then also being authentic. Listen, let me just ask you, how many of you lied this week about how you're doing? Someone comes up to you and says, hey, how are you doing? And what's our natural response? Good. Everything's great. You're lying, okay? Some of you are not good. And some of you, this Christmas was hard. Some of you, this was a tough weak. Listen, God wants us to be authentic. He wants, a, he wants us to be people with authenticity with where we're at and where we're going. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be open. 
God wants that. That's, that's living faithful to him. Depending on God, loving people while being authentic individuals toward others. Okay? And next, stay relevant. Engage culture for Jesus. We want to stay relevant with where we're at. Paul did it. Jesus did it. They were relevant to their culture where they're at. And we need to be the same way as well. You can't just hole up in your house and say, well, I remember in the good old days. Well, it's not the good old days, so move on, okay? We need to stay relevant where culture is so we can engage people so we may win some. And the last one is to live generously. Live generously, not just with your finances, but also with your time and your energy. How awesome would it be to be people marked by generosity, right? Now, if you've been going to the chapel for a while, you kind of catch the theme here. These are our five values of the chapel. These are the values. Everything we do at the chapel are based on these five values right here. Depend on God, love people, be authentic, stay relevant, and live generously. These are our five values because we truly believe that if we live these out, that's what it looks like to be faithful to what God has for us here on earth. And so that's how we want to challenge you going into 2020. I pray that we would live faithfully doing these five things. And let me tell you, if you do that, just watch what fruitful outcomes you will produce. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you that you have entrusted to us your fortune, this world, other people, and that you want to use us so that others may come to know you and others will, will come alongside this, on this journey with us of faith. God, I pray for everybody in here as they jump into 2020 that they wouldn't just be so concerned with the, the, these outcomes just in life, that, that we would be more focused on our faithfulness to you, that this year would be the year we took the most steps in our spiritual lives. God, we love you, and we just give this whole morning to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.